Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal State House team. I'm so sad because my friend and better half, Jason Tidd, is not here today. He is off resting after a busy week in State House world. But fear not, this will not be a monologue. I am joined, as always, by friend of the podcast, our beloved co-host, and state land fossil, John Hanna, the Associated yes, Press. Yes, indeed, the state land fossil. Uh, I, I am the runner-up state fossil. Uh, <laughs> silver medalist. The silver medalist, which means if the one that we presume the bill is going to get signed by the governor, although she did say she would not have vetoed a bill naming me the state fossil, well, well, land fossil. Give, give the background, because this actually almost came to fruition. Yes, yes. Well, what, uh, yes, Boog Heiberger, a Democrat from Lawrence, had the the amendment drafted uh, to the bill naming I can't remember which pile of bones will be the state <laughs> land fossil but uh, it, it was discussed it was it was brought to the legislature by students who were from the area and I think the teacher was related to the guy who discovered this fossil anyway they they were debating the bill in the house he drafted an amendment to name me the state land fossil and presented it but but didn't formally offer it and, and that was because of a conversation that we had in the hallway a little earlier after the hearing and and, and we were recalling a, 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 an incident from the past, uh, 1986, the state named uh, the ornate box turtle the state reptile. Uh, there was a moment in the Senate when they amended the bill to name a state representative as the state reptile. Uh, he did not think that was funny. Um, but any of us who are old timers remember the incident and i made a comment about well i'm kind of insulted that nobody wants to name me the state land fossil and uh, boog was like well john i can take care of that and i said i dare you and there there it was and i think boog related that story in the house floor and then said, then said incorrectly. I'll point out that I'm too young to be a fossil. Well, you're, you'll always be the land fossil of our hearts, John. Yes. Anyway, um, as I said, if the state fossil that presumably will be named can't fulfill its duties, then a, then maybe I can be the state land fossil officially. Something to keep an eye out for, yes. folks. Uh, a busy week in the world of the legislature. Yes. 
Under uh, the dome. Uh, and over in the judicial center, too. Indeed, yes. And maybe let's start with abortion, because that was probably, that was a through line of the whole week yes. in the judicial center, and then some legislation uh, here in the state house. But let's start with the court cases, two court cases. Uh, yes, one one over a law that bans a common second trimester procedure. Uh, the description of the procedure is you use forceps or other instruments to uh, a, on a living fetus to take it out of the womb in pieces. Um, and so that was what was banned in the law. Uh, district court said initially said it created an undue burden for women seeking abortions. Early in the case, that led to the Hodes Nauser decision declaring abortion a fundamental right. Now the case is back for whether the law uh, can go f- can be enforced, notwithstanding that fundamental right found by the Kansas Supreme Court. The other were clinic regulations enacted in 2011, never enforced. Uh, extra health and safety rules specifically for abortion providers. I believe a district court judge in striking them down said that the state could provide no real justification for treating abortion providers different than other health care providers. And of course, that's up on appeal uh, as to whether the Supreme Court thinks that's the case. And so you have the Solicitor General, a former Court of Appeals judge and Kansas House member Tony Powell, arguing for the state's attorneys for the Center for Reproductive Rights, arguing for the providers. And I think think the consensus of people who were watching these arguments was that the court gave the solicitor general a pretty hard time yeah and i mean he even kind of admitted at times that he was boxed in i think he used that exact phrase the word boxed boxed in in. because there is a relatively limited factual record that was established at the district court level he tried to point to evidence that was introduced in a federal court case in texas for instance and the court was skeptical of why he really should be allowed to do that and his response basically was well i don't have a whole lot to work with here yeah Um, and and that that suggested well this is an appeals court so they generally have to they they don't go back and try facts the facts in theory are already established at the trial court level so if it isn't in the trial court record um it is hard to raise points and you know a constant question from the justices to the solicitor general was well did you argue that? Did you object to that? And of course, it wasn't him doing the arguing. Right, exactly. It was Attorney General Derek Schmidt's administration. Right. right. Um, and uh, I mean, that was interesting, but kind of the big, I think Justice Dan Biles called it the elephant in the room at one point, is the August uh, constitutional amendment vote where voters, if you're listening to this, or like live on planet Earth, you heard about this but voters but in case you were on mars at the time voters pretty soundly rejecting a proposed amendment to the constitution that would have undid uh that undone i think undone yeah that's not that you're right uh we care about grammar here at chilling in the state house we're chill about it but we care we're wordsmiths yes uh, it would have undone that the Hodes yes, now is and decision. declared that the legislature had the power to regulate abortion. Of course, the legislature under that amendment could have banned abortion if it wanted to. And 
there was this argument from there were kind of two arguments from the solicitor general one being that that vote was not an affirmation of the 2019 decision nor a uh, refutation of the various policies that are under consideration it was instead framed more as do you want the legislature to be able to ban abortion and the voters said no i think that the the abortion rights folks would very strongly disagree with well, that characterization yes of the they vote. would and and so let's unpack uh, unpack this a little bit um i think uh, solicitor general powell acknowledged that the vote did tell the court that voters appeared to not want abortion ban completely his argument was that left a lot of room for so-called reasonable restrictions of course everybody's definition of reasonable different that's an argument a lot of republican legislators have made there's also been this argument that voters were misled they didn't quite understand etc those we'll leave those questions aside on the abortion right side there's an argument that that has developed where it's well the amendment said the legislature has the power to regulate abortion and the people said no to that so does that raise the question of whether the legislature has the power to regulate abortion at all which is of course not quite what opponents of the amendment argued during the campaign their argument was kansas has reasonable restrictions and passing the amendment could lead to some pretty pretty tough Uh, could lead to a ban or you know even a ban in cases of rape incest and and the life of the woman being in danger which of course the supporters denied and so um well to that end the solicitor general made pretty clear that he did think that you know the argument over and over that you know leave this to the legislature leave this to the people that the the voters install in office and I think some of the justices were skeptical. So they said, hey, look, we have a vote literally from the people, a plebiscite, if you will. And, I, you know, again, there's debate over what the, the plebiscite really the conclusions well, to take away know, from that. In, in the past, but, in the school funding cases, there has been a line of thought when you're discussing uh, the education article of the Constitution. You know, voters put that language in the Constitution themselves. And the line of thought has been the ultimate interpreter of the Constitution, even above the Supreme Court, is are the people of Can are the people of Kansas the is the the electorate collectively, and if the question was should the Kansas Constitution protect abortion rights, the answer was yes. That's what the 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 people of kansas said in august they want the state constitution to have some right to access to abortion in it now that doesn't tell you how much right and so you know they, they again as we have discussed repeatedly on this podcast it was a yes, either you have a right to abortion access in the Constitution or you don't. It wasn't an exercise in line drawing. And, you know, the polling suggests 
that you start to see a 50-50 split among Americans when you draw the line of having most abortions banned at 15 weeks. Kansas is at 22 weeks. Kansas has parental consent. It has a 24-hour waiting period. It has an informed consent requirement. Uh, and the informed consent materials have to be printed on white paper in 12-point ti times New Roman type so that it's readable. Um, so, you know, the question for the court is, they issued this decision saying that these regulations had to get past strict scrutiny right. to be upheld. Right. The, 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 um, the amendment vote... As far as evaluating the constitutionality of the laws, does not really have a bearing. I mean, it, the question is, can this law surpass well, it, strict it does, scrutiny? It does have a bearing in the sense that the solicitor general was asking the court to reverse itself, which I think, based off their questioning, oh, there is their their question, their questioning, and the comments they made suggested that they that that is very unlikely to happen. I mean, obviously, you can never quite tell with a court, but they seemed very clear, clearly comfortable with the finding four years ago. And the problem with reversing it is the people just told you that, yes, access to abortion is protected under the state constitution. So I think that leads us kind of to the second big legal question, which is, do these laws pass strict scrutiny? And on that one, I, I think we'll wait and see what the ruling well, have and, in store. And, and, and arguably, what is strict scrutiny? I mean, there is a definition that the federal courts use. You have to have a compelling state interest and you have to address the issue. You're trying that interest. You have to uh, address that interest in the most narrowly tailored way possible. Um, but just because you use that term strict scrutiny in a state court context doesn't mean you have to, I mean, you can have a slightly different definition if you want, if, if, if you read the Constitution and court precedents on the state level a little differently, maybe the, the, the standard is a little different than that, maybe it's not. And so, yeah, that's that the the chance that abor anti-abortion folks are hoping the court takes is to back away just a little bit of from strict scrutiny and give them some room uh, to regulate abortion. And of course, moving over, segueing over into the state house, it's kind of. Uh, interesting because it's like it's it, they're partying like it's 2018 you know you remember the Prince song 1999 well this is like it's 2018 it feels like it's pre-Dobbs pre-Hodes and you know we're in an environment where uh, some vestige of Roe versus Wade is still uh, the precedent of the land federal courts and therefore lawmakers feel constrained so they're doing all these things not a direct ban on abortions at a certain point, but policy all around that. Yeah, I mean, and you perfectly segued, you should host this podcast sometimes, perfectly segued into the legislative end, which, like you said, I don't want to call it nibbling around the edges because I don't think that's true. I think these are really substantive bills. Yeah. But they are not dealing directly with the, how an abortion is performed and like you said when it can and cannot be right why don't we start with the one that i think is more directly related to um 
to a, to the performance of abortion care, and that's the abortion pill reversal bill. Yes, where uh, now, like as you alluded to, a whole list of I believe it's the Patients Right to Know Act. Yeah, the Women's Right to Know Act. It's an informed consent. Basically, the patient has to be given all this information before the abortion is performed. I think that's in theory why you have the twenty-four hour waiting period, so the patient can review this information and ask questions. And it's a long. It's a. It's basically a pamphlet. Uh, a little booklet worth of stuff that you give to the patient in writing. It has to be in writing. And this adds a, a provision that says if you're getting a medication abortion, which is usually two pills, two different medications, after you take the first one, it can still be reversed. And and the method for doing that is... Progesterone. Progesterone. Doses of progesterone, which is what is used to try to save uh, a pregnancy when a woman is looks like she's miscarrying. Um, well, and this is a... Uh, a disputed the I efficacy of this yeah, is that's, I think that's an under understatement uh, that there there were a couple of uh, doctors who lean toward the anti-abortion side uh, I a think, gentleman from the University of California yes. San Diego I think yes and they use progesterone in a limited number of cases and it worked two-thirds of the time in those limited number of cases, and then they, a few years later, they did a study that suggested it would work half the time. But, of course, the numbers of the first, in the first small groups, weren't particularly large enough to be what a lot of people would consider a valid study. And then when the second study came out, I think I, I think it ended up dealing with about 250 women, if I'm remembering correctly, out of, they, they had like 750 patients, and this affected about a third of them. And um, th- the critics of that study said, well, you didn't, this was not a typical double blind with a control group, where they're getting the placebo. Right. And the other ones are getting the the real medication. Because there's you, no easy way to do a placebo one. No, you and that that is part of the problem. So the criticism is is that you don't know whether these uh, pregnancies would have continued absent the doses of progesterone. In other words, they might have been saved anyway. So you don't know whether this is safe or effective. This is something that across the country, some of the anti-abortion pregnancy counseling centers offer um, and or at least uh, promote as or promote. Yes. And so, of course, the abortion providers think this is junk science and potentially even dangerous. And they don't think they should have to, in their minds, lie to their patients. Now, one could point out that they're already in, a, in an interesting position because the right-to-know material that Kansas has uh, mentions a supposed link between abortion and breast cancer, which has pretty much been debunked by cancer groups. And so... In addition, there there might be some free speech questions there about compelling, you know, where is the line between free speech and medical regulation? 
you know, on the one hand, the state can't compel you to say something. On the other hand, it has a right to regulate the medical profession. Well, and as far as regulating medical providers, I think we also get that in the second bill, mm-hmm. which is, which proponents say is, is obviously related to abortion, but it's it separate. is the Born Alive, Born Alive yeah. Infants Protection Act. It deals with uh, live births during abortion procedures. Uh, the supporters have often portrayed it as live births despite abortion, um, botched abortions or incomplete abortions, but it also covers situations perhaps where the doctor has the fetus or newborn, once it's born, uh, delivered expecting the baby to die very quickly within minutes or even seconds. And the idea is is that the, the, the uh, fetus is severely medically compromised and won't live when it's, if it's carried to term. Um, it was more dangerous to carry it to term, and so it's better to have a delivery now. And uh, in some cases, uh, doctors inject the fetus with a poison that stops its heart, and in some cases, they may not because that may be deemed more dangerous to the woman. And so you just have a delivery and the fetus dies and the abortion providers say, in that case, you wrap this newborn up in a bundle and give it to the mother so that she can be with the, uh, the baby until it dies in a few minutes or, you know, half hour or whatever. And uh, anti-abortion folks say, no, they just put this, this newborn on a metal tray somewhere and go about their business and, and every few seconds look over and you know, see if it's, if it's died yet. Um, and, so, and abortion providers say this is really something that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's kind of, that, exactly. That is their to be line. clear, they, they say that doesn't happen. Um, and I mean, the, the numbers in other states. Well, and, and you had the famous case of Kermit Gosnell in Philadelphia. And that's in frequently 20, cited. And, yeah, 2013, 2014, where he went to prison for, if I'm recalling correctly, over allegations that he actively, you know, did, I mean, like used scissors to kill the newborn and, you know, not wait for it to expire on its own. Well, and and what this bill would do is it would criminalize that. It also would require KDHE to track. Uh, well, and, whether, and if you have a live birth, you would be required to transport the new newborn to the hospital. Yeah. And there's a question of what kind of medical interventions a doctor would be required to provide. And, you and know, would that, that be intrusive on the family if yeah, the, if and, the newborn's going to die anyway? And that question is what caused a proposed law like this in Montana to fail. The suggestion that this would be forcing parents into having uh, really intrusive and invasive medical procedures on, you know, I, I, I talked to some uh, a group up there, the, the person who was the chief spokesperson for the no side up there and what she said was they had a discussion of for example if you have a newborn born at the 22nd or 23rd week of pregnancy you know you might not have even a tube that's small enough 
to in, you know to stick down the throat to get to breathing if you tried to do chest compressions you you might crush the sternum and everything beneath it so you know the word she used for that kind of procedure was torture and and so that became a big issue and of course on the other side is is if medically you can intervene and and you know prolong or save the life of this newborn shouldn't you do it well we should note perhaps goes without saying but uh, killing a child is illegal under current statute oh yeah a fanticide is, but proponents of the bill say those laws are not particularly well tailored to these situations they don't they are not effective in these instances well yeah what i mean the the question here is the question here always for doctors is what is the ethical thing to do if you if you are if you are encouraging and doing an early delivery of a child, you know that because of that circumstances and its medical condition is going to die fairly quickly. What is the ethical thing to do? I mean, you face this question at the end of life. You have somebody who's in a coma and the family has to decide about life support. You know, a patient who has a very severe form of cancer may weigh the side effects of the treatment that could, in theory, prolong his or her life for six months or a year versus the desire not to go through that and maybe only live a month or two months. So, you know, those these are pretty hard decisions medically Certainly. and ethically. And both of these bills passed, uh, passed in the last couple of weeks. Born Alive uh, has passed both houses, but there are some changes that get sorted. Very out minor conference. changes, actually, from the Senate version. So, in theory, they could come back Monday. The House could concur and send it to the governor. Uh, they could also put it into conference and talk about the abortion pill reversal bill, which has not been considered by the Senate yet. But because it's passed the House. Under the legislature's interesting rules, uh, a conference committee can talk about it. And we should say all votes on both of those bills have been over the two-thirds veto-proof yes. majority needed. Now, whether whether that sticks is another question, but... And on the, the APR bill, that, that uh, Republicans fell one vote short in 2019 of overturning mm-hmm. the governor's veto. So, Well, and you know, you know, there could be... There could be a thought amongst a few wavering laws, lawmakers, well, I'll go ahead and vote for it, and then it will go through the courts. If it is a serious problem for abortion providers, undoubtedly they will challenge it. It will go through the courts, and the courts will tell us whether they are whether it's constitutional. Because, as we saw earlier, abortion uh, laws in the Kansas court system go together like Oreos and milk. <laughs> well, and then obviously what you get, if you get these laws struck down, then the anti-abortion pe- people uh, basically say, see, see, we told you, you should have passed that amendment. Yeah, and that's definitely something you to know, watch so, kind of long term here. Yeah, long term. I mean, you know, over the long term being, you know, five, six, ten years. Well, real quickly, John, and actually this is uh, 
we have to go up to a transgender uh, disabil- disability rally. Yeah. But I do want to talk real quickly about legislation uh, related uh, that folks consider anti-transgender that passed this last week. Uh, legislation that would redefine the definitions and state statutes such that transgender individuals would only be able to use bathrooms, changing rooms, domestic violence shelters, prisons that are in line with their uh, sex assigned at birth. Yes. And so obviously they couldn't use facilities that are consistent with their current gender identities. Also, the text of the bill suggests that it would they could not change their driver's licenses which has been uh, the state got in some legal hot water about that it, that five was years over ago. yeah birth certificates uh, yes sorry yep so right. they're under a consent decree on birth certificates but nowhere is that policy of being able to change your birth certificate or driver li- driver's license actually ensconced in state law and this would prevent that um you know the argument is that this is basically the legal erasure of transgender people in Kansas. It doesn't go as far as a bill that just passed in North Dakota and their governor vetoed, which would have, which, and they may actually be trying to do an override vote today, but which would have prohibited schools from using pronouns and names consistent with a, a student's current gender identity and in, in other words the the teachers in the school would be required to dead name them and to use the, the pronouns opposite of what they prefer well in kansas also has not followed in the stu- the the steps of a lot of other states in advancing to the point of giving it to the governor legislation that would ban gender affirming care although that minors. is out there and that could if it could wind up in a conference committee it report. It could wind up in a conference committee report, and we'll see. It's not, of course, a straight-out ban, just a provision that says if you're it a doctor. Yeah. yeah, it criminalizes it, and if a doctor is, is found to be doing gender-affirming care for minors, they are supposed to have their license yanked, and they can be sued. Um, and so that's a pretty that would be a pretty big disincentive. But going back to this other legislation um, on public facilities and and vital statistics. Well, and now there's even a bill that deals with overnight trips for schools. Yeah, that's another that passed the Senate this last week as well. That says if you have an overnight trip schools, it's inspired by a case in Eudora where there's a school trip to Costa Rica. A girl shared a bed with a transgender girl and was did not get a particularly receptive response from administrators on or what changing she felt it. was i've i've heard different versions of how upset the parent was and whether the they the the administration eventually worked it out you know anyway the point there was is enough of an uproar there was enough of is. a controversy that it reached the legislature and it's it's now in legislation and they feel the need not to leave this to a case-by-case basis to teachers or or administrators and i mean if it would get it would it would require as someone who to has chaperoned own. teenage boys and girls and and had to room with the boys on overnight on on week-long convention things you know it, this is an awkward age and and you know 
I'm not sure that, that, I mean, I know there are cases where two cisgendered boys don't want to sleep in the same king size bed, you know? Um, well, it, it, we should say the, the bill would also require school districts to develop their own policies sure. locally. So there is, proponents say there is some measure of local control here. We, we don't need to get into that, but yeah, it's a, a way of saying a lot of action on this front. I think that this is an issue for the reasons you just said to really be watching as we head into this week, this coming week, uh, the quote unquote conference committee week, uh, which Thursday is a wonderfully named deadline known as drop dead day. <laughs> Conveniently coming right before Easter. This yes. Uh, right, the day before Good Friday, as a matter of fact. And this is definitely one where there could be some maneuvering. And also, we should say, we believe this coming week will be when we get a veto override attempt on the governor's veto of the bill banning transgender well, athletes. Well, and, and the House has to do it mm-hmm. this coming week. Otherwise, Otherwise it, the veto stands. So this is an issue definitely to be watching out for as we keep marching forward. Yeah. Uh. If you want to read up on everything going on in this chaotic, oh God, I don't even know what adjective to use. Chaos, yes. Chaos is really, I think. Yeah, there's there are a lot of adjectives we can use. It's it's a not uh, all of them are are uh, we yeah. could use on a family podcast. Yes, though. But, but chaos, it's it's one of these, it's one of these interesting things where it can be. St- very short periods of intense activity in three places at once and then longer periods of people just sitting in their chairs waiting for something to happen. Waiting for the budget to be printed. (laughs) Yes, waiting for the budget or the conference committee report on X to be printed. Um, You know, they decide, they tell you in the morning they're going to do a certain thing and then they try to round up the votes all day and by nine o'clock at night they haven't done it and aren't going to do it. Um, you know, you get 10 minutes notice that something is coming up, uh, the that job, sort of thing. The job isn't as sexy as they make it out to be on TV. I can no, tell you that much. no. But if you do want to read the fruits of all of our, our labor, uh, you can go over to cjonline.com. Follow us on Twitter at CJ Online for the latest updates. And you're you're Andrew Ball B A H L. I am. If you want the really latest updates, I'm at Andrew Ball B A H L. Well, and at Jason underscore Tid T I T T I D D as well. And John, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at APJD Hannah. Sometimes I get lost in nostalgia. <laughs> Sometimes I, you know, I was watching the Tennessee House and, you know, they have when they need a vote, they ring a little bell and the, the speaker says, at the sound of the bell, cast your vote. They don't do this thing with, and they don't wait for you, apparently. Um, and they had some interesting goings on there this week. Um, and then a www.apnews.com backslash with the hand movement and you know uh somehow i've got to uh update my twitter profile so it notes that i'm the runner-up 
state land fossil. <laughs> Indeed. And we're proud that you would choose to come on Children in the State House given that lofty status. Well, I, I believe it's probably a prerequisite to being the <laughs> runner up state land fossil. Um, you know, I've got a. The practice. chillest land fossil around. That's right. There may be other state house podcasts, but they don't have the runner up state land fossil. You're damn tootin'. Damn tootin', yes. And if you want to listen to back episodes. And you do. And you do of, of us uh, featuring the state land fossil. Runner up. Land runner fossil. up. Uh, we don't want to slight the real state land <laughs> that's fossil. That's true, though. I don't think we'll be subject to a lawsuit because. It's, been, dead. it's dead for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Chilling in the State House is there awaiting your audio needs. And John, are you ready to go rest up and yeah, mentally I'm prepare for mentally prepare for the the final four days before drop dead day. And then we can do a sleep deprived podcast next week. Yes, what do you say? Because we do our best work when we're sleep deprived. I think one year Titus and I literally recorded a podcast at like two AM waiting for them to get done in this. And that of. was a fun podcast. We were pretty loopy. You were pretty loopy. <laughs> Titus was at his dry humored sarcastic best that podcast yes titus Wu, our our friend and uh he's in, isn't he in sacramento now? yes yes he's working for bloomberg uh, doing some really yes. cool reporting yes uh, so everyone after you do all the kansas stuff go, go check him go out. check out titus's work in sacramento john andrew it's easier to do that when well and i i guess i guess i'll say it gratuitous disney reference uh, none comes to mind, so I'll just say gratuitous Disney reference to end the podcast. The Jason Titt Memorial gratuitous Disney yes, reference. Yes. Well, we appreciate you all spending a few moments with us. Get some rest. Just pace yourself this week, and we'll see you at the end of it to break everything down. Have yes. a good one, y'all. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.